0: Hi, I'm Tyler Saltsy, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news, or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org That's www.gbfperu.org I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. We we'll draw our attention to the book of Matthew this morning, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 27, beginning in verse 57. If you Using the pew Bible there in front of you, you can find our text on page 835 this morning. 835. I never get tired of this. I never get tired of talking about the resurrection. I never get tired of talking about the cross. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is my Super Bowl. (laughs) But it's way better, ten times, infinitely better than any game that man would play. This is no game. (laughs) This is the truth. So as we draw our minds this morning to God's Word and what God's word would tell us and teach us and show us, would you stand with me out of reverence and respect for God's word as we read, beginning in Matthew 27, verse 57 through 28, verse 15. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own and laid it and laid it in his own tomb, his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a significant sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. asleep." And if this comes to the governor's ears... We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us, and what we are not, make us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. No one likes exercises in futility. That is, we usually do not like to do things that are generally pointless, are hopeless, cannot succeed. You might think sometimes that physical exertion, physical exercise is an exercise in futility. Is it even doing anything? Is it even helping? I've been working so hard, yet I don't see any results. How about cleaning your house? Especially if you have a few little rug rats running around? You know that's an exercise in futility if you've ever said, "I just cleaned that." Right, looks like you have to clean it again. And again, and again. If we think that something is an exercise in futility, it might not be long until we give it up. It's not worth doing it. It's pointless. It's hopeless. It's unpromising. Yet, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people are still trying to reject it. People are still somehow trying to get around it. People are still trying to figure out a way to get over it or to minimize it. But at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of the Christian message, is the resurrection. It is the resurrection we proclaim, but it's the resurrection that the world and sinful mankind would like to avoid. But all of man's attempts to prevent or deny or even flat out reject the resurrection are done in vain. Man has been at this for years, it's nothing new. He persists in this futility. Why? Because he knows that disproving the resurrection is disproving everything. He knows what 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19 say when it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you dismiss the resurrection, if you try to deny the resurrection, if you say, no, the resurrection didn't happen, not only are Christians to be pitied for their faith, not only are we to be pitied for our faith, but that means that mankind still has a great problem, a great problem that they can't even fix. Fallen mankind continues, however, in this exercise of futility with the hopes that someday the tables will be turned. And it won't be shown that his life has been futile, but that the life of the Christian has actually been futile. Isn't that what we just heard? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is is futile, pointless, hopeless, unpromising. It is a faith that will not succeed. Give it up, the world says. Your life, your faith, is pointless. And we will do everything we can to undermine it. There's no middle ground here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not subjective. We're talking about objective truth. We're talking about objective reality. We are talking about facts. Historical, verifiable facts. And if you would say, no, I reject the resurrection. I don't believe that that happened. What evidence? What proof? What cause? What case can you make as to why it didn't happen? We are going this morning to a historical record. But more than that, we're going to the very word of God and what it says. We cannot reject the resurrection. We cannot get around it. We cannot get over it. We cannot and must never minimize it or downplay its importance or its significance for the Christian. And not only for the Christian, but for the whole world. And it comes with this hope and this promise. We Christians will be vindicated and it will be shown that our faith is not futile. But it is all those who reject, who remain in their feudal life. So why is, it that we cannot resur- why is it that we cannot reject the resurrection? Why is it that we say we must believe this? Well, four reasons this morning from our text. You can follow along in your bulletin if you find that helpful. But four reasons here why we cannot reject the resurrection. Number one. We are protected from claims of a fraudulent resurrection. We are protected from claims of a fraudulent resurrection. I get them every once in a while, calls from my credit card company, checking to see if I can verify the activity that is happening on my credit card. And usually I have to check with my wife first before I answer that question because did I use it? Did I use it here? Did I use it there? Sometimes verifying big purchases, sometimes verifying seemingly insignificant purchases. What are they doing? They're ensuring that no fraudulent activity has taken place on my credit card. You notice that's the fear of the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. They were afraid of some kind of fraudulent activity that was going to take place. But we have to start a little before that and we go back into the book of Matthew, and we first see a dead Messiah, a dead Jesus. Jesus had been crucified, naked on the cross. And as relayed by Matthew, it was quite a scene. There was Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, hanging on that tree. Darkness covered the whole land for three hours This was the darkest day in the history of the world. Darkness rightly covered the land because the king of glory, the one who is the light of the world, was sacrificing himself. And as darkness hovered over that scene, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God became the sin bearer. And because our sin was laid upon Him, the Father turned His face away. He cannot look upon sin. If the physical agony and the physical pain of the cross were not enough, Jesus knew spiritual agony. The agony of being forsaken by His own Father. As I have heard it said by the Welsh pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, He died of a literal broken heart. It is here that he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Life had gone out of Jesus Christ. There he hung dead upon the cross. What an awful, horrible, sad scene. But then look at what happens. The curtain in the temple, the curtain that had separated the people from the holy, holy, holy God was torn in two. Jesus' death made a way for sinners into the very presence of God. And notice how that curtain is torn. This curtain, 30 feet wide, 60 feet tall. The width of it was the width of a hand sideways. So this is no curtain that man can tear. And so we see the curtain torn from top to bottom Why? God tore it. God made a way back to himself. God made a way for us to enter in, to draw near to him and to be close to him, to have a relationship with him. Then the earth shakes, the rocks split, creation reacts violently to this death and even bodies that were dead in the tombs come back to life the Roman centurion there standing by the cross makes this confession truly this was the son of God we could debate how much the centurion understood when he said this but I think we know why Matthew includes it is to show the deity of Christ so that we see Jesus is not only 100% man, but that he is 100% God. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That is what Jesus has done. And now he's dead. And one of his disciples, one of his followers, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, comes and asks for his body. We know a little bit about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin, a Jewish leader, prominent man. The Bible tells us that he was a good and righteous man, that he had not consented to the rest, with the rest of the council on the decision and action to have Jesus killed. But that he was a follower of Christ, although in another gospel we see it tells us secretly He was looking for the kingdom of God, and he does something very bold. He went to Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus had already gone through enormous shame. It was a shameful thing to go through crucifixion. You were considered cursed by God to hang upon a tree. And instead of Jesus' body being thrown into a pile with other crucified Bodies without a proper burial, to be out in the open having birds and other scavenger animals feast upon your body only to add to your shame. Joseph determined not to let this happen to Jesus. And so he goes to Pilate, has his request granted. And Jesus, uh, Joseph takes the body down. We're told in another gospel again with another man named Nicodemus. They prepare Jesus' body for burial. They wrap him in a clean linen shroud, and Joseph took Jesus to his own tomb, a new tomb, a tomb with no other bodies or bones yet in it, a tomb that had been cut in the rock, and they lay Jesus there. In this instance, we see the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah Written hundreds of years before Jesus came, Isaiah 53, 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. To finish off the burial, they roll a large stone over the entrance of the tomb and went away. From a distance, there were two Marys watching all of this same Marys that we see from verse 56 they saw the tomb they saw Jesus dead body enter the the tomb they saw Joseph and Nicodemus leave and set the large stone in front of the entrance and go away they were witnesses to the burial of Jesus but now the scene shifts to these Jewish leaders They come back to Pilate, the same people who had persuaded the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead of Jesus and encourage the people to ask for Christ's crucifixion. They were the ones leading the chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And now they come back to Pilate with another request. And they continue to show what they believe to be true about Jesus. They call him an imposter, a deceiver. He's a fake. He's a fraud. He wasn't really the Messiah. He wasn't really the king. He wasn't really who he said he was. The identity of Jesus is absolutely crucial. You have to get it right. You cannot miss it. The history of Jesus has been shown to be true. In fact, even people who do not follow Jesus, believe that there is ample evidence to prove that he truly did exist? And if so, then what are you going to believe about Jesus? Are you going to listen to what he says? Are you going to believe what he says? Or are you going to say, like these people, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he's no better than Satan, who's been a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. Another option that a theologian, C.S. Lewis, gives us is that maybe he's a lunatic. Jesus was crazy. No reason to follow a crazy person. Only crazy, insane, irrational people follow someone who is crazy. Or, he's Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is God. Who you believe Jesus to be, what you believe about his identity is of eternal significance. These men say Jesus is an imposter. And they would play to Pilate's sense of control and authority in the province he rules. Pilate, you don't want to let the fame of a dead imposter take over, do you? Pilate, you don't want to let a shamed criminal you ordered to be crucified to gain popularity and a following among the people, do you? We've heard this claim that he made while he was alive, that after three days, he would rise. Now, we could go back in the book of Matthew and see the instances where Jesus makes these four prophetic statements. Chapter 12, verse 40. Chapter 16, verse 21. Chapter 17, verse 23. Chapter 20, verse 19. Each of them pointed to the fact that Jesus would die and three days later, he would rise again from the dead. The news of these prophecies had spread, and the Jewish leaders are wise to them. We need the tomb to be secure, lest his disciples come and steal away his body in the night and tell people that he rose again from the dead. This last fraud will be worse than the the first fraud. It's bad enough that Jesus went around lying while he was alive. Don't let the lie go on after he's dead. We need to finish it. We need to put a stop to it. And what is it? What is it that the Jewish leaders are afraid of? They're afraid that there's going to be a hoax. They're going to do something to make it look like Jesus has risen from the dead. Pilate, we need to do something to stop this from happening. We must stop this hoax. Pilate gives them guards. They go to the tomb. They seal the, tr- the tomb from the front entrance with wax. They do everything they can to make sure that no one is going to get to the body of Jesus. A hoax is not going to happen on their watch. And what is our response to such an action? (laughs) Praise be to God that he would use sinful, wicked men, men who were enemies of his son, to protect us from claims of a fraudulent resurrection. Do you see That is how the world would love to explain away the resurrection. It's a hoax. Something else happened. There's another explanation. But do you see how God used men to protect us from fraudulent claims? That is precisely why they were there, to ensure that nothing fraudulent happened. They were looking for anything suspicious. They were looking for anything that would try to make the resurrection of Jesus a lie. And for all of these men's rejection and disdain for Jesus, it's men's schemes that actually prevent a resurrection hoax from taking place. You want to reject the resurrection? You can't. It's futile. God and his divine providence use these men to stop any trickery, any deceit, any scams from taking place. The resurrection of Jesus is too precious for anything like that to happen. Number two, we are provided with proof of the resurrection from God's messenger. We are provided with proof of the resurrection from God's messenger. There's a great fascination today with angels. Have you ever heard people talk about angels? They're so intrigued by them, curious about them. They think they're so amazing, so wonderful, so great. Some even focus so heavily on angels, they miss the whole point of angels. The Apostle Paul had warned about this in his letter to the Colossians when he says, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Be careful, my friends, that you would not try to think you show yourself to be spiritual when really, as Paul says here, those who focus on these such things are not spiritual at all. It was even happening in Paul's day that people were worshiping angels. Angels are not to be worshiped. They are God's ministers. They are his messengers. They only point to God and to his greatness and to his glory. How foolish I think it is when I hear someone say, Oh, if I could just meet an angel, wouldn't that be great? You want to know what happened when people in the Bible meet angels? They pee their pants. Because they're so terrified and afraid. And that's what happens here. This angel descends, an angel of the Lord descends from heaven. The two Marys have gone to the tomb early in the morning to further anoint the dead body of Jesus. And how much their surprise it is when there's a great earthquake. Creation rocked and reeled. They felt the earth underneath their, underneath their feet move. This was no small feat. Such an action shows just how mon- monumental of an occasion this was. The earth had to give up its dead. Why did this earth tremble? Because the angel of the Lord descended, rolled back the stone from the entrance of the tomb, and sat on it. You think a rock's going to keep Jesus in the grave? If there was any question as to who this was, his appearance seals the deal. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. You can't miss it. This is a divine messenger from God, an angel. And only God's messenger would do in this instance. It's not just the two Marys, though, who experience this. The guards are still there. Do you see them there in the text? They're there and they are filled with fear and trembling. The seismic activity that had just happened all around them now had come into their very own bodies and they were shaking and they were trembling. What are you so afraid of, soldiers? What is there to fear? You are Roman soldiers. You should fear nothing. You should be courageous and strong and stand up, but they become like dead men. They play possum, don't move, lay really still and we might leave here at least with our lives. The living men become like dead men, but the dead man has come back to life. And it's right here that we see the guards had got it all wrong. (laughs) They were so concerned about keeping people out of the tomb They were so concerned about making sure no one took the body of Jesus when all of the time their real concern should have been the dead body leaving the tomb. It was not about keeping people out. It should have been about keeping someone in. But that's what they could not do. That's what they could never have done. It didn't matter how many soldiers. It didn't matter how strong they were or skilled they were. Nothing, no power, no man's power, no sin's power, no death's power could keep Jesus dead. Nothing could keep Jesus in that tomb because God raised him victoriously, triumphantly from the dead. Don't be afraid, says the angel to the woman. There's no need to fear. I have good news for you. I have great news. I have news that will make your hearts leap for joy and sing. I know you seek Jesus. I know who you are looking for. I know why you are here. You are looking for the crucified Jesus. You are seeking a dead Jesus. But that Jesus is not here. He's not in this tomb. He has risen He has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive, just as he said. Remember what he said, what he had prophesied. Do you see that there? The angel reminds them. Just as he said, which tells us Jesus' words never fail. They never fall short. They are completely trustworthy and true. Whatever Jesus says Believe it, because it will happen. It is true. He is the word of God, and he said that he would rise on the third day, and it has happened exactly like he said it would. The angel invites the women, come, look at the proof, look at the place where he lay, You can see the linen cloth lying there. You can see the empty tomb itself. Jesus isn't there. The tomb is empty. Go tell the disciples he is risen and he will meet them in Galilee and they will see him there. See, I have told you, God's messenger, God's angel, the message of Jesus' resurrection came from God's messenger to man. This is not a message invented by man. This is not something that we have invented No, the good news, the great news, the best news comes from God and declares what God has done on behalf of mankind. The news that death and and the grave have been conquered. That Christ Jesus has been vindicated as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of sinners. The news now that for those who are in Christ Jesus, you're not only united to Him in a death like His, But you are also united to him in a resurrection like his, a physical, bodily resurrection. And his resurrection is a certainty that you need to know because all of those who are in him will one day be raised with him to glory, to be with him forever and ever with your risen Lord and Savior. You cannot reject the resurrection if it is God's messenger, God's angel who verifies the truth. This isn't proof offered by fallen errant man. This isn't proof that the women even discover on their own and try to put two and two together. It's God's angel saying, look, here's the proof, and now let me connect the dots for you. Jesus has risen from the dead. You can't reject it if it's, if it's God's messenger who's been sent by God himself, who provides the proof and meaning as to why there is an empty tomb. Number three. Third reason why we can't reject the resurrection. We are preserved by the appearance of the risen Christ. We are preserved by the appearance of the risen Christ. These two women have just had a magnificent encounter with an angel and they straight away seek to obey and do what he told them to do, tell the disciples. And so they depart quickly from the tomb. And we see these two emotions residing in them, don't we? They have just had a fearful encounter with an angel. They are fearful. Fearful. But that fear did not dominate, for they also had great joy. These women were just getting this idea of a resurrected Savior into their minds. They were just being able to let everything that they had just experienced and everything they had just seen sink in, but they already had great joy. Do you know great joy? because of the resurrection. Do you know great joy when you think about the fact that Jesus is alive, that he overcame death? Do you know joy because you know great love for Christ, great joy because Christ is your treasure? You need to know that joy of the resurrection because that is the greatest joy that you could ever know. And listen, God is not stingy with his joy. (laughs) Let me tell you how much joy God wants you to have. He's going to raise his own son and your Savior from the dead. That's how much joy that God wants you to have. And so they have this great joy and they are running, running. And I imagine they're running as fast as their legs will carry them. And then we hear verse 9 of chapter 28, don't we? Begins with, and behold. Pay attention to this. It's important. Don't miss it. And behold, Jesus. Jesus met them on their way, Jesus found them, Jesus interrupted their mission. It's one thing to see an empty tomb. It's quite another to see the person you saw dead now standing before you and speaking to you alive. And all he says is greetings. But that's all they need. They know his voice, they know who this is, and they come to him and they took hold of his feet. This is a real physical body. They touched Jesus. You can't grab a hold of the feet of a ghost or some vision. The fact that the women were able to grab hold of his feet says that this is a real physical Jesus. And then they do what is most appropriate they worship him. Who alone is worthy of worship? God. Who alone is worthy to be praised? God. These women rightly worship Jesus because Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the incarnation. He is to be worshiped and rightly worshiped because he is God. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 don't worship me for I'm just a man. No, he receives their right, proper, true worship. And that is what you do when you know the risen Lord. You worship him. You cannot help but worship Him. Who is like Him? Who has done what He has done? Who has provided what He has provided? Who has taken all wrong and is able to make it right again? Who is able to make all things new? Who is able to bring you back to God? So that man and God are able to dwell again together. No one other than Jesus. Could it be that this really is your problem today. A lot of problems that we maybe could name, list in our lives, problems that are weighing us down. But at the core of all your problems, the greatest problem is this, you've got a worship problem. We've been created as worship beings. We cannot help but worship you will worship something. You are worshiping something. And maybe if you're honest this morning, you would say, I would rather worship anything else other than Jesus. And let me tell you, my friend, you can worship a lot of other things. And some of those things, in and of themselves, are not bad, but when you set them on the throne, on the pedestal of your heart and bow down to them and hold on to their feet, they will never satisfy. You can worship your spouse, you can worship your kids, you can worship your grandkids, you can worship your job, you can worship your money you can worship your possessions, you can worship your position, you can worship your authority, you can worship your fame, you can worship your intellect and reason, you can worship your sexuality, you can worship your freedom, you can worship yourself, but until you fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him, you will never know what it's really like to live. You will never really know what it is to be alive. You will never know what it means to have life All of the other worship leads to deadness and destruction. Only the worship of the risen Christ leads to life. We don't worship a dead person. If we worship a dead person, we are still dead in our sins and of all people most to be pitied. We worship a living Savior, the only kind of Savior ever worth worshiping. These women were the first to worship at the feet of Jesus But they are not the last to worship at the feet of Jesus. Jesus continues to speak, reiterating, do not be afraid. Jesus, Jesus, we saw you. We saw you on the inescapable cross. Jesus, we saw you breathe your last breath. Jesus, we saw you die. Jesus, we saw your dead body laid in a tomb. Don't be afraid. It is I. Go and tell my brothers. Go tell the brothers whom I love, whom I care for, whom I've laid down my life for. Go tell them to meet me in Galilee. There they will see me. And these two women saw Jesus. Jesus' disciples saw Jesus. It says that 500 people at one time saw Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, had Jesus appear to him. And finally, Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. What did all of these appearances of Jesus do? Did it make his followers shrink back? Did it make his followers embarrassed? Did it keep his followers cowering in a corner? No, it sent them out with the greatest news in the world that Jesus is alive. Do you think if the resurrection was a lie, if it didn't really happen, that all of these people would have been able to keep up the hoax, keep up the lie, keep up the secret for so long? If the resurrection was a lie and they knew it was a lie, do you think they would have risked their lives? And in some cases even died for it? You think that these people would have preserved more than a day if they hadn't seen Jesus? The disciples, in fact, were told in another gospel, they went back and they were going back to being fishermen at one point. But Jesus then found them and again showed himself to them that he was raised from the dead. Do you want to know why it's futile to reject the resurrection? One simple reason. We are here today. It is this resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the risen Christ who appeared to those then that has preserved and propelled the Christian faith forward. We are here today and we are here every Sunday on the day that Christ rose again from the dead because we believe the truthfulness of God's word that Jesus really is alive. And what's even more amazing is that Jesus appeared first to women. Women in Jesus' day were not even considered reliable witnesses in the court of law. If you are making up this story in Jesus' day... And you wanted it to be credible? There's no way you would have him appear to women first. You would choose someone who the society would think is more reliable, more trustworthy. But God, according to his perfect plan, had Jesus appear to these women so that they were the perfect witnesses Jesus need to begin to spread the good news about him. And so the good news continues to be spread today. Finally, number four. We cannot reject the resurrection because we are perceptive to the attempts to discredit the resurrection. We are perceptive to the attempts to discredit the resurrection. As Christians, we are those who see this as good news, but not everyone considers it good news. In fact, fact, some even regard it as bad news. Who is it first to tell the news that Jesus has been risen from the dead? Who is it here in the text? Who is it, besides after the angel, who is it that's next to spread this good news? It's not the women. They're still on their way to tell the disciples. It's the guards. They are the first to announce the news. They went and Told the Jewish leaders, they make a pronouncement to the Jewish leaders who had secured their services. Look at what it says, that they told them all that had taken place. They told them about the earthquake. They told them about the angel that descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. They told them what they'd heard. They told them what they'd seen, what they had experienced. And what was the response? What good news you bring us that Jesus is alive. How great it is to know that the tomb is empty. How amazing that you saw an angel and heard everything that he said. The resurrection must be true. It's not what they say, is it? No, it was not good news to their ears. It was the worst news imaginable for them. This was the worst case scenario for the Jewish leaders. What could they do? They couldn't do anything. They couldn't go after the disciples. They hadn't done anything. They couldn't produce a body. There was no body to produce. It was gone. There was a major problem. The leaders convened together, decide to pay off the Roman soldiers. They make up a lie. They who were so afraid of Jesus the imposter, Jesus the liar, now they become the liars. They become the deceivers. They become the imposters as they try to salvage whatever power and authority that they think they have. Tell the people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while while we were asleep. So think about that. The very thing that they were trying to prevent at the beginning is what they decide to use as the cover-up. We are sending Roman guards so that the disciples won't come and steal him away. The Roman soldiers have one job, really, don't they? But they couldn't even do that. Tell the people you were sleeping, and while you were sleeping, the sneaky little conniving disciples slipped past you, rolled away the large stone from the entrance, grabbed the body, left all of the grave clothes behind, ran off into the sunset, never to be seen again. They tried to explain away the supernatural. That is what the resurrection is. It is a supernatural event. That's why there's so much joy, because it's amazing. (laughs) If this was something natural that had happened, there would be no joy. But this is God acting for us on our behalf. These who are enemies of Jesus Christ send out this propaganda message. You want to talk about fake news? This is the textbook definition of fake news. This lie, the Roman soldiers were about to spread, was dangerous. It was dangerous because they were sleeping on the job, if this was true. The Roman soldiers were sleeping on the job. That was a crime punishable by death if it was found out. That's why they say if this news reaches back to Pilate's ears, if it goes back to the governor's ears, don't worry, we'll satisfy him, we'll take care of him to keep you out of trouble, most likely we'll pay him off, we'll bribe him. And so they spread the lie. They spread the story among the Jews. They try to keep the Jews blind by their deceit. They try to keep them in the dark concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They attempt to discredit the resurrection. But we know it to be true. Do you think the attempts to discredit the resurrection are anything new? Do you think that Somehow, oh, well, now there's evidence that has come to light. Now there is some natural explanation for this claimed supernatural event. Now we know more or better because we're modern man, and so there must be some scientific or medical reason why this happened. It's futile to try to reject the resurrection because. People have tried to discredit it from the very first day that it happened until now. But every attempt has come up short. Every attempt is not able to overcome the truthfulness and the reality of the resurrection. These men who had been told everything that had happened, who had been told the truth, still tried to discredit it. Still tried to stop it. Still tried to deny it and still tried to reject it. It's futile to reject the resurrection, yet many still do, and do precisely because their hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They are blinded by the truth. And they will not end their exercise in futility until God softens their hearts, opens their eyes, and gives them the gift of faith if you are that one who's been flat out rejecting the resurrection, here's what you need to hear today. There is a living God who created everything, who owns everything, including you, who rules over everything. He is a holy and righteous God who cannot look upon sin or evil. But because he is holy, he must deal with sin and evil and put it to an end. And and if you maybe are honest with yourself. We're not talking about, again, something subjective. What I believe, what you believe. We're talking about a being. And a being whose existence hinges everything. And a being who can fix all of the problems that we know in our fallen world, that He does that in His Son, Jesus Christ. But we, our problem is that we have sinned against this God. We have failed miserably and thinking ourselves to be wise. We have gone our own way, rejecting and rebelling and sinning against God. We have broken the letter or the spirit of every one of his commandments. And so we are bound to the guilt of our sins and enslaved to our sin because of our arrogance against God. And for that he has every righteous and just reason to throw us into the lake of fire as the holy and righteous God. Left to ourselves, we have no way to save ourselves and make ourselves right before God. But what we can never do, what I can never do, what you can never do, Christ has done. But God loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for us. Notice there, It's God's love for us that sends the Son to die for us. It's not God's love is a result of Jesus dying on the cross for us. How much did God love us? He sent his own Son. Left to ourselves, we would have no way to make ourselves right before God. But what we could never do, Christ has done. He has come and lived the perfect life That we should have lived. Never breaking any of God's commands. Living completely righteous and holy in every way possible. He lived the life that we were meant to live. But as the perfect one. Jesus went to the cross for our sins. It's there that the punishment and the wrath of God. That should have fallen upon us. That should have been ours. Fell upon him. He took our sins upon himself. He sacrificed, and extinguished God's wrath toward us as sinners. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die because of our sins. But death could not hold them down because on the third day, up from the grave, heroes, vindicated and victorious, announcing that his sacrifice is sufficient to atone and forgive every sin that we will ever commit. Past sin, present sin, future sin, Jesus forgives it all. He takes away our sin. He removes it from us. And he now calls on everyone, everywhere. That means this morning he calls upon you to repent and turn and forsake your sin and put your faith in him and in what he has accomplished for you in his death and in his resurrection so that you can know forgiveness, you can know salvation, you can know life for the very first time. New birth, born again. Jesus now is seated at the right hand and he's granting forgiveness and salvation to all who call upon him. Maybe you're here today and think, well, this is all nice. It doesn't mean very much to me. I I haven't rejected the resurrection. You believe the resurrection is true and real. And I'm glad for that. But I have to tell you something. That is not everything, my friend. Simply believing the resurrection is not enough. Simply believing the resurrection ap- actually happened does not mean that you are saved. Do you believe the resurrection happened? Good. Even Satan believes the resurrection happened. That doesn't mean that he's saved. It doesn't mean that you're saved either. Believing the resurrection is only half of it because it's what the resurrection leads us two, that you have to acknowledge. Where is it that this resurrection leads us? It leads us to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is King. The question this morning is not, do you believe in the resurrection? The question ultimately is, will you submit to the universal lordship of Jesus Christ? And notice something here. I'm not asking you to Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. No, what I am saying is greater than that. I'm saying Jesus Christ is Lord. And what you believe does not change that fact. Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you submit to him with everything that you are, with your whole being, with your life now? Because you will either submit now or you will submit later Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. Stop living in futility, but know life in Christ and live for his glory forevermore. Great joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious day draw our minds to the risen Christ whom you raised from the dead showing that Christ is completely vindicated he is the perfect sacrifice there is no other sacrifice we need there is no other savior that we need there is no other life that we need all we need is Christ and knowing Christ And having Christ, and Christ having us, is everything. So Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts today with this truth that's come from your word. Lord, let us hear those words. Jesus is Lord. And that we would be those who willingly submit and confess. And that someone today, maybe even is doing that for the very first time. They're saying, I've been worshiping all of the wrong things. I have a worship problem. That they would come to Jesus because Jesus can fix their worship problem, He can fix it with His love, with His mercy, with His grace with his compassion. Lord, I pray that we would have an accurate picture of who Christ is and seek to glorify him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.